Welcome to Fast Lane with Sarah Jane, a podcast for women who are on the move, managing life and family. Your host, Sarah Jane, is building a tribe and talking about the things that affect the daily lives of moms. You can expect real conversations about managing chaos, finding ways to take care of mind and body, and stepping outside your comfort zone on the way to living your best life. Hold on for a wild ride. Now, let's get started. Anyone who knows me knows how much I love Medora. And if you don't know me, I'm telling you right now, I love Medora, North Dakota. And I think it just obviously stems from, obvious to me, from when I was a child. We would go to Medora and we would do the mini golfing and we would do the swimming and and the hotel had a pool that was outside. So it was so much fun to swim outside, even though I swam outside all summer long in, in Velva, but going to the hotel with the outside pool was always great. We'd have ice cream. We'd go to the musical. We would buy little trinkets. I'm sure I always either got a t-shirt or something. It was great. It was a great childhood memory that I had with my parents. I can remember my friends sometimes would go with. I would get to take one friend. I remember staying at the lake on a Friday night. My dad stepping in a hole and twisting his ankle and hobbling around North Medora. And we weren't very sympathetic. We would say things like, are you coming? As he's dragging his um, leg and his foot behind him. Funny to think about now, probably, uh, he probably really was in pain, but we were in Medora and we were living our best lives. So we weren't really thinking about his ankle. My dad is no longer with us, so he cannot defend himself. But it was, uh, it's a good memory. So I'm fortunate today to speak with someone else from Medora. So this one was fun because this guy, he is basically Theodore Roosevelt. He looks him, he, he looks just like him, he talks like him. It is so fun to watch him. I watch plenty of videos of him. And for the podcast today, he even got into character and spoke just like our former president and told a story. So it was good. So you're going to hear a little history today. You're going to hear a little bit about Medora. You'll hear a little bit about Theodore Roosevelt. You will hear about Joe Wiegand's journey into where he is today. So I hope you enjoy I am very excited about my guest today because earlier this year I did a podcast on Medora and anyone who knows me knows how much I love Medora. I love the history of it. We take our kids there every year. I used to go there with my parents as a child. And so we are very, um, very much in love with that little town. And I like to pick out little pieces of Medora to try to focus on just to learn something new every time I'm there instead of doing the same old, same old. And this time I'm very fortunate today to welcome Joe Wiegand, who plays Theodore Roosevelt in Medora. And I will tell you, if you have not seen this man, he looks like our president. He talks like him. He has mannerisms like him. It is absolutely fun to watch him and to speak with him. So welcome, Joe. Thank you for coming today. Sarah Jane, I'm delighted to be with you and your podcast viewers and listeners. And thank you for those kind things that you've said. I'm, I say I'm very fortunate. I, I tried doing Abe Lincoln, but nobody believed me. <laughs> and that I'm glad I don't look like Calvin Coolidge because I'd be doing very short programs in Massachusetts. But <laughs> that he went everywhere. But as you and your viewers know, uh, he himself said, he would have never been president, but for his experiences in North Dakota. So it's an honor and a pleasure for me to bring Theodore Roosevelt to life here in Medora and throughout North Dakota and, and the upper Midwest, indeed throughout the country as an ambassador of goodwill for the Medora that we all know and love. It's amazing that he had said that about Medora because North Dakota is a flyover state. So what exactly was it about Medora that spoke to him so much? Well, he benefited in that case that he came from the era of the train, uh, the coach, and horseback, which would give the traveler through then Dakota territory an opportunity to really see things. And when he first came in 1883 to the Badlands to hunt that bison uh, trophy that he wanted for his home, 
already the bison had become scarce uh, in the Badlands and uh, throughout the Upper Plains. But his experience here was also one where he was considering his future and, and he decided to make an investment in cattle. As he became a cattle rancher in the short years that followed, you and your viewers know he didn't purchase any land. Uh, they were all squatters on good free government grass and it was a boom town. And North Dakota knows boom and bust and that you get knocked down and you get back up again. And, and that was certainly part of it. Uh, Theodore Roosevelt returned in 1884, right after the death of his wife and mother, both unexpectedly, uh, his wife two days after childbirth of Bright's disease, uh, necrosis of the kidney, and his mother of uh, typhoid fever. So uh, both women had been healthy. Uh, his wife Alice's condition had been masked by the pregnancy. He would give his daughter, Alice, named for her late mother, into the care of his sister, Anna, and he came back here and he established his second ranch, the Elkhorn Ranch, which we know as the Cradle of Conservation. And he came here and through hunting, ranching, really working himself hard, reading, writing, he healed. And then we know went back east and changed the country and changed the destiny of the world, especially in places like the Panama Canal and, and uh, certainly in the parks and forests of the Western states. And how did you come on this path? <laughs> oh, I'm reminded growing up uh, in suburban Chicago and, and of the few record albums my mom and dad had. Uh, I'm sure uh, one of them included that song, The Long and Winding Road. And, and now you know why I'm not in the musical. <laughs> you could be in the musical. You should well, be. You know what? Uh, uh, we have a wonderful uh, young actor, dancer, singer, uh, Ken Caracchione. Mm -hmm. And uh, Ken does the youthful, uh, TR was 39 when he charged up the uh, San Juan Heights and had been in military training. Uh, I have heard it said that, that now I'm 56, Theodore Roosevelt himself died at the age of 60, became a bit more heavy set uh, in his later years. And and uh, so I, I do think it's known that I do the old Teddy Roosevelt. And <laughs> look, uh, that gives me a chance to look back uh, across the entire life. When we talk about, when you said Ken, when we went to the musical one time, he was losing his mustache. And <laughs> it was so was funny. And he was did that so not opening night of... Yes, uh, it was opening night. Crazy year that was 2020. Yes. You remember the moment, uh, his, his rejoinder on the third or fourth attempt. My memory is he's at the foot of Kettle Hill about to start the charge. And this is after Ken has been dealing with his mustache. And there was actually a, a break. And I think the whole audience said, oh, he's, you know, he's going to get it glued back on while he's doing this costume change. But he comes back out and he's ready to make the charge. And he says, and his mustache is falling off. And he says, but first I shave. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I, the whole crowd got it. And they were cheering for him on, on both levels. Uh, Ken's a real pro and, uh, uh, for me, uh, it's interesting to to watch someone like Ken up on stage, the uh, wonderful talents he brings to the stage. Uh, my father was a comedian, a stand-up comedian, uh, for 45 years or so, and uh, had been in the trades, heating and air conditioning, sheet metal in Chicago, but uh, brought the family to Hollywood, California. And I watched his craft, and what an honorable calling to anyone in the arts Life can be hard Monday through Friday for most of us. And, and if, if families, members of the public can go out on a Friday night or a Saturday matinee or Saturday night and see an entertainment, in my dad's case, a comedy show that made you laugh and your cheeks hurt, and your belly hurt, and you forgot about your problems for a little while, um, that's a neat thing to do. So I was certainly influenced by my father, my mother, an artist, a, a graphic artist, painter, um, and then my education, but also... You know, my dad was a hippie comedian. And the only way to be a rebellious teenager was to volunteer for Ronald Reagan and join the NRA and the Christian Coalition. And I actually became quite an activist as a young Republican. Wow. Some people compare it to uh, uh, the Alex Keaton character, uh, 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 Michael J. Fox in the, in the TV show he had where his parents were uh, hippies and, and he was a conservative. Family ties, uh, my producer tells me. <laughs> My producer and partner is my wife, Jenny Cook-Wiegan. We've been married 33 years. 
And so she's seen me make a professional change. I was 25 years in politics and public policy as a campaign manager, a political professional, a public opinion pollster, fundraiser, and uh, also a local office holder myself and aspirant for higher office, uh, twice defeated for the state legislature in Illinois. And I am reminded of uh, the quote from a, a Chicago ward alderman. I'm a Republican, but this is a story from the uh, Democratic Party. And a young law student at Northwestern who would later become a federal judge goes down to the ward office because he wants to uh, volunteer for Senator Paul Douglas, a liberal uh, Democratic uh, senator seeking uh, re-election. And when he goes down to the ward office, uh, the ward committeeman uh, looking up at this young law student says, well, who sent you? And the young law student says, nobody sent me. And he says, we don't want nobody that nobody sent. In my own career uh, in public service, I wasn't sent by anybody. I wasn't there to represent anyone's interests but my constituents. And they were a, a wide array of people, but I'm glad that in my time on a county board, uh, a seven township district that was primarily rural and agricultural and uh, both uh, a row crop and cattle and dairy. And you know what it's like to grow up in North Dakota, to be a North Dakotan. Mm -hmm. It was a lot like that uh, in, the, uh, in the DeKalb County uh, region, indeed DeKalb Genetics uh, headquartered there. Good, hardworking, honest people where your handshake was your word. Mm -hmm. And uh, I found that again here in, in North Dakota. I love again, that you moved that, to such That long story is that going from that career in politics, I would attend Lincoln Day dinners, fundraisers for the Republican Party, Chamber of Commerce uh, uh, luncheons, and all sorts of those civic uh, uh, luncheons and banquets. And, and as the son of an entertainer, especially at the Republican banquets, where we were in the land of Lincoln, and 60 miles from Ronald Reagan's boyhood home in Dixon, and red, white, and blue, and great citizens, and such a, a poor program that you would write a check and get a bad piece of chicken, and then you'd hear a speech by a member of Congress that made the chicken look good by comparison. <laughs> As a son of an entertainer, I decided, you know what? We have to sing some songs together, even if it's a cappella, if we don't have a town band, if, you know, mm -hmm. even if we, uh, have to have a little fun and tell some jokes. And I wound up doing a comedic character called Father Giuseppe Republicano. It was just Guido Sarducci from Saturday Night Live. <laughs> uh, my dad says there's nothing new in comedy. You just rehash the old stuff. Yeah. And there was plenty of comedic material. Rod Blagojevich uh, uh, was our governor. He went to federal prison. He, he was on The Apprentice with uh, uh, Donald Trump while he was awaiting... Uh, uh, sentencing uh, when Mr. Trump was just a, uh, a TV star. Uh, so long and strange trip. My sister-in-law gave me the book, The Rise of Theodore Roosevelt by Edmund Morris. She gave it to me as a gift Christmas 2001, just months after those horrible September 11th attacks, at a time when I was uh, 36 and a little too fat to join the military. Eyes had gone bad. And I wanted to figure out some way to serve my country. And when I read the book, The Rise of Theodore Roosevelt, as an old friend said, the penny dropped. I, I had the idea that maybe I could bring Theodore Roosevelt to life for audiences, young and old, remind us of who we've been, why we fought and sacrificed, and, and maybe for some of the youngsters, tell them for the first time in the manner that I could in character as TR, a character of whom his daughter Alice said, father wanted to be the bride at every wedding, the corpse at every funeral, and the baby at every christening. <laughs> and with the volume of work that he produced as president, as author, as explorer, the, the more I rediscovered Theodore Roosevelt, a hero from my own youth, when I had a bronchial condition as a boy, um, we didn't go to doctors. You just lay down until you could breathe again. But the story of him overcoming his own childhood asthma and going on to build his body um, and then being famous for living the strenuous life in the great outdoors, all of that just really seemed to fit like a hand in glove. Made a wonderful transition for me after 25 years in campaigns and elections. That really is a meat grinder of an industry. I bet. And, uh, I'm glad that my wife, Jenny, and I came through all of those years, and my daughter, Sam, that we came through all of that uh, 
relatively unscathed from the uh, being a man in the arena for all those years. And you really have now dedicated your life, you you're, and your family. You took a year off in 2008 and traveled around the country for the 150th birthday of Theodore Roosevelt, correct? Right, and, and wound up going to uh, all 48 contiguous states, which was the original plan by RV. And as our, I've said with friends, uh, we all maybe have that little daydream, little romance, the idea of getting in an RV and just touring the country. Yeah. Uh, the romance of that idea lasts about the first two weeks. <laughs> After that, you're living in an RV with your family touring the country. And, and for us, it was a real challenge because we were sprinting from a network of half a dozen engagements I'd booked as a young professional even by that point, but most of it was research and experiential. But in having to race uh, against the clock and against the map sometimes, we really did... I mean, who spends a portion of a day in Yosemite? You know, we, we occasionally had to, you know, cut a trip much shorter than we'd like. And, and so it's really been, that was a loop around the country. And we celebrated the centennial of the Great White Fleet, the 16 battleships that TR sent around the world in 1907 through 1909. And to commemorate the centennial of their visit to Seattle, uh, we were able to make and perform at that event at which the Navy decided that I should go to Hawaii and perform at the centennial of the visit of the fleet to Honolulu and, and to what would be Pearl Harbor. And I realized no one does a 49-state tour. You know, I got to go up to Alaska. And that gave me an opportunity. Uh, two of the Roosevelt, three of the Roosevelt boys are buried far away from their ancestral home. Uh, two of those are in France, Ted Jr. from World War II, Quentin from World War I. The boy, Kermit, who is the young man who hunted with his father in Africa in 1909-1910 and explored the River of Doubt, uh, which gave birth to the uh, Rio Roosevelt. There's a tributary of the Rio Roosevelt in the jungles of Brazil called the Rio Kermit. That's named for Kermit Roosevelt, who sadly took his own life in World War II at Fort Richardson in Alaska. Had a terrible bout with uh, drinking and depression, probably what today we would identify as post-traumatic stress syndrome. He's buried in the federal grave at Fort Richardson. Interestingly, uh, uh, Major Kermit Roosevelt buried right along with the enlisted men, no special markings on his cross. Except nearby there are uh, Japanese soldiers uh, killed in action, buried uh, beneath a, uh, a Japanese obelisk, and uh, also nearby some Russian uh, soldiers killed during World War II. But Kermit's widow said that Theodore Roosevelt had said, where a mighty oak falls, there let it lay. And that explains why Kermit was left in Alaska, then Alaska Territory. And that was a pilgrimage. So it was one of many of dozens of experiences on that TR tour of the country in 2008 that just opened up a whole new way to live and work and produce hopefully a product on stage and elsewise that adds value to other people's experiences that maybe gives encouragement to, to learn of his life of uh, loss and endurance and perseverance. It's been an inspiration to me and, and certainly has opened a, a lot of wonderful opportunities. That 2008 50-state tour wound up culminating for me and for my wife, Jenny, with a performance at the White House on Teddy's 150th birthday. Wonderful group of North Dakota people were uh, involved in that whole celebration, including uh, Ed Schaefer, then serving as the Secretary of Agriculture in the George W. Bush administration, uh, Randy Hudsonbuehler, Valerie Naylor at the time was the superintendent of Theodore Roosevelt uh, National Park. And also we had uh, uh, Joel Gilbertson on piano uh, from Bismarck and Job Christensen, the Broadway actor from Grand Forks, singing uh, at that event. And, and wow. so we, North Dakota was in the house uh, <laughs> at that celebration of Teddy's 150th birthday. Long, long answer, but even that really sort of shortened up. Well... I want people to know that you're not your average Joe because 
when you look up on the Teddy, you have a show, the Teddy Roosevelt show. And in your bio in there, I'm going to read right from here. It said that you are considered the world's premier Theodore Roosevelt repriser. As an actor and historian, Joe's portrayals of Theodore Roosevelt in live performances and in television and film have people wondering if TR has come back to life. That's a big deal because some people are sleeping through history class, you know, because (laughs) they, you know, you got your teacher there that's just reading out of the book. But when you watch you, it, it is inspiring because my goal of this podcast is to encourage people to live better, do better, be better. Mm-hmm. And you're doing that when you're on stage. You're bringing history to life. You are making it exciting. So from small kids to all the way up to senior citizens, they're listening to you. And they're leaving there and saying, well, I didn't know Theodore Roosevelt did that. And I didn't know that. <laughs> You're making an impact. This is this is great what you're doing. It's so nice to hear that. Again, my wife, Jenny, uh, she's a wonderful professional in her own right. But she reminds me that only one of us walks into this house after work having gotten a standing ovation. You know, so I'd like a standing ovation <laughs> once in a while, you know. Uh, yeah. So I know that because the audiences have been so generous to me with their comments, and um, you know, I know that they appreciate what I, I do. It's interesting though, to tell you that we came through this summer in Medora, and, and I continued on when the musical stopped. We did about three more weeks worth of Teddy shows at night. We became the, the evening entertainment, and you could still come and have supper and stay at the hotel and go visit the park and do some other things. Um, but for health and safety reasons, I didn't have a chance to interact with the audiences after the show the way we normally do and mm-hmm. share stories and take pictures and shake hands and where are you from? And, and uh, so thank you for those words of encouragement. I look forward to being back uh, on stage. Uh, stage now has sometimes become this format that you and I are sharing with your viewers today. And we've had to embrace that. And it's made some of us stretch in the performing arts. Uh, I know that there are some singers and dancers, uh, the aforementioned Job Christensen. I, I think he's one of the uh, performers who's finding a way to adapt and a- accommodate uh, the fact that our audiences are remote and probably will be for at least a few more months. Uh, we're probably extremely blessed and fortunate here in Medora to have our regular big entertainment season be that summer season mm-hmm. that's currently scheduled to start June 9th. And I'll probably start doing some things before the musical as Teddy. Oh, by the way, I like what you talked about, how when you come out, there's always something new to do, and you encourage people to do the new things out here. Working with our great friend Justin Fisk and with uh, Nikki Barra and the wonderful people who are saving the Mahdahay Trail, and not just saving it, and that's the Mahdahay Trail, M-A-A-H-D-A-A-H-H-E-Y, over 100 miles of single track, Mountain bike is what most people do now, but it's horses, it's hiking. Mm -hmm. And they've, inspired by that, built right here on the face of Town Butte, back behind the playground and the beautiful new rebuilt uh, Little Bully Pulpit uh, Putt-Putt Golf Course. There are trails now that are extremely accessible that take you all the way up and across the Butte and around to the stables. And uh, we hiked yesterday with our dogs and we were could easily have been out there for an hour uh, had we not taken a little shortcut back down to our own little backyard uh, back here. But point-to-point trails, something free to do and, and uh, something that I hope some of the families will take advantage of to make sure that, you know, we're getting away from the computer and the Game Boy and the whatever the kids are playing with electronically. Just go take a hike with mom and dad or brother and sister. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that's going to be a wonderful addition for a lot of people. It's in the neighborhood of the uh, the zip line that already was up this last year and the Lazy River, the Little Mo Lazy River and Splash Pad and uh, Point to Point Park, just a place where people can play games and have some fun. And that came as a result of listening to our visitors in Medora, where we determined that uh, our parents needed a little bit more for their kids who were 10, 12, 14, Sure. Something to do, because they've already kind of done, you know, they've come to the door every summer for a while. And yeah. so this is some new fun stuff, including for the older kids, like our 
our moms and dads maybe, uh, pickleball is uh, going to be featured in Point to Point Park. Well, I'm excited think, to tell my husband that because he loves pickleball. Oh, good. It's a fun little game, a little something to get the get the blood going, get you, again, you hear as much laughter as you do uh, pickleball spanking. <laughs> I bet. We, we always do, we get ice cream and we do the musical and we eat at the Little Missouri and we hike. Those are our, oh, and then mini golf, of course. So next year, we're going to have to try this lazy river in the zip line. And, and next year, the construction on the uh, uh, Lazy River is going to uh, occur. We'll probably be fortunate if it's open by the end of the summer. Oh, okay, um, okay. But the point-to-point trail will be open, and some of the other features will, will uh, begin to take fruition. Yeah, but it might be the end of the season by the time the, uh, the Little River actually gets installed and completed. You know how it is in North Dakota when you've got construction and capital projects and that short window that comes about and how busy all of the contractors uh, are for a while. And Absolutely. So let's get back to you as TR. What is your favorite thing to talk about or educate people on when, when you're speaking? Well, it's a good question because uh, there are so many aspects of his life and his character stories that uh, come to mind that are all for me equally enjoyable to share it's almost sort of how TR, you know, would answer himself when asked about his favorite books. You know, it sort of depends upon uh, your interest at the time and, and that sort of thing. So sometimes it's, it's relative to the audience. With a young audience, it really is important for me for youngsters who are maybe able to handle some of these uh, themes. So that's usually kind of middle school and up. Um, that tremendous loss that he felt. And it wasn't just wife and mother on the same day when he was just 25 years old, but when he was 20 and away at Harvard, his father, just 46 years old, died quickly and suddenly of stomach cancer. And uh, TR rushed home on the train just too late to say goodbye to his father. But one author states that with his younger brother, Elliot, who would in turn be the father of Eleanor Roosevelt, the first lady and wife of Franklin, already named Roosevelt before she married Franklin, distant cousins, that one author says that Eliot, just some of the spirit and life was crushed out of Eliot in the painful grip of his father in the last hours of his life. So, you know, maybe TR was saved a little heartache from not making it home in time to see his father in those last moments. But that crushing heartache and defeat. The, so the overcoming of tragedy, the overcoming of very poor vision. He didn't get glasses until he was 13 years old, and he was extremely nearsighted. He just thought the world was fuzzy beyond a, a, a foot or two away. And, and overcoming uh, bullies, taking uh, boxing lessons uh, to, to overcome the bullies, and, and by building his body, overcoming his own physical limitations with the asthma. Life is struggle. And even someone who has the fame and and accomplishment of someone like Theodore Roosevelt, who I believe is Mount Rushmore worthy, and I think even a lot of kids who may have, you know, might still sleep through history class, they know Teddy's on Mount Rushmore. And, And in a way, thank goodness for Robin Williams in Night at the Museum. Yeah. Because again, a comedic character, even in that little bit, I've met hundreds of kids whose love of history goes back to that movie. Really? And it may actually be, you know, Tutankhamun and Egyptian history or, or Roman gladiators, uh, those various different little uh, vignettes that are in, in that movie and uh, in that trilogy of, of movies about Night at the Museum. So... For the young ones, I really love telling the story of overcoming hardship. Uh, For more mature audiences, I really do love getting into the soup and nuts of what he accomplished. Maybe for most audiences, irrigating the arid states of the West isn't really an exciting topic. But for Theodore Roosevelt, it was the pinnacle of conservation in his administration to control floodwaters to provide for reservoirs, to provide for irrigation, 
which meant the settlement of lands by farmers and ranchers, that was progress. That was the kind of progress that must be included when one uses the phrase progressive from Teddy's time. Mm -hmm. It was about natural resource utilization, including in the forest, where lumbering and mineral extraction are to be encouraged and allowed. They're just to be done in such a way that the natural resources are left in better condition for future generations and not in worse. Mm -hmm. So even in these areas where you might get into a little bit of controversy with regards to Theodore Roosevelt's policy and his legacy, some, most uh, would say that Theodore Roosevelt's uh, actions in the Panama Canal zone were extra constitutional or non-constitutional. Theodore Roosevelt accomplished the Panama Canal, probably one of the greatest feats of engineering and commerce in the first half of the 20th century, and did so knowing that if he just got it done, Congress and the detractors could bait him while the canal got done, and that that was worthy of that controversy. So just to come back to your question, for me, as a public policy junkie, uh, as someone who understands that, again, I I told you before, uh, Declaration of Independence, our birth certificate, Constitution, our owner's manual, um, Theodore Roosevelt and, and our country and our people were woven in with those documents. Mm-hmm. Those are thoroughly related to public policy and how we achieve it through the political process, through the, uh, through the legislative process, through the impact of the executive. And what a fascinating life he lived in touching so many various public duties and responsibilities so that Obviously, if, if I was performing a, a show for uh, the Fraternal Order of Police, a good portion of that show would be about Theodore Roosevelt, the president of the Board of Police Commissioners in New York City, to connect that, to that audience. Uh, if, when we uh, uh, dedicated, when we launched uh, the, uh, the USS North Dakota, the nuclear submarine uh, in Groton, Connecticut, uh, the entertainment dealt primarily with Theodore Roosevelt's legacy with the United States Navy, uh, he having served as Assistant Secretary of the Navy, uh, his birthday having been Navy Day, and again, the, the sailing of the Great White Fleet. Hard to pin down favorite story. Mm-hmm. So I need to ask you about a story then, because we, two of our favorite people on the planet, we like to vacation with them, and we were just in Medora a couple weekends ago with them. And he had been reading a book about Theodore Roosevelt. And he said that he was shot during a speech and he had a pocket watch and it hit the watch. And then he went back out and spoke. Well, what's the scoop there? I've just been shot, but it takes more than a bullet to kill a bull moose. I spoke for 80 minutes with a bullet in my chest. Uh, The uh, remarks were rather extemporaneous. When I pulled the speech from my pocket, unfolding it, uh, there was now a bullet hole in the top and a bullet hole in the bottom, and most of the pages soaked in blood. The man that shot me was John Schrank, uh, an unemployed New York tavern worker. He followed me around the country and plinked me in Milwaukee. He uh, testified at his trial that the reason that he shot me was that No man should have three terms in the presidency, even though I was running uh, technically for a non-consecutive third term. Uh, John Schrank pled guilty, but criminally insane, and he was so found. Sent to the insane asylum in Racine, Wisconsin, John Schrank lived until 1942, long enough to know that my cousin Franklin had been elected to his third term. (laughs) Poetic justice. (laughs) <laughs> that's There's wild. a little Teddy Roosevelt. <laughs> that is crazy. Isn't that an, a, a fascinating story? And yet uh, you, uh, you get into what Theodore Roosevelt wrote about it. And he said the first thing that came to his mind was his Rough Riders, his regiment, where he had seen in the crowded hour of uh, uh, those battles, he had seen men wounded. He'd sent them back uh, to the aid station and they would return 15 minutes later to the line, claiming that they could not find the aid station, and that they just assumed that they'd you know, be better used here on the front lines. 
So he thought about it in that term of a, of a rough rider. Because he knew that his lung wasn't punctured, he knew it was not a fatal wound. If he was going to die, he was going to die making that speech. And if he wasn't going to die, well, then it was no big deal anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, one of his uh, historians, I do believe it was David McCullough, that said uh, he's convinced Theodore Roosevelt was not afraid to die. He said, that's where we're really different. The rest of us really are afraid to die. Theodore Roosevelt had no fear, uh, no fear of death. When it came, it was going to come. So when your sister-in-law bought you this Theodore Roosevelt book, did she just happen to buy it for you because she thought it was interesting or because you resembled him? Or what do you think? Because that that really cascaded the re- the this last 20 plus years of your life. So what what was the motive there, do you think? It's uh, very insightful of you to p- have picked up on that. Uh, Cynthia Barlow, uh, she's the... Uh, oldest of the six Cook children. I fell in love with the youngest. And uh, Cindy is very insightful and does so professionally, uh, having taken for decades uh, corporate CEOs on retreats, looking back, looking within, unfolding, making plans for the future. She uh, has facilitated people learning about themselves and institutions learning about themselves and getting better. She had seen me struggling in Republican politics and realized that she came to me, the book came with her knowledge that Theodore Roosevelt had spent most of his life fighting within and against his own Republican Party leadership, a good deal of uh, of which was corrupt and beholden to the special interests on Wall Street. The federal prosecutor eventually proved in court that the Republican Party leadership against which I was fighting from within the party was just as corrupt as the Chicago Democratic Party, just cheaper to buy. And my sister-in-law was up to date on these issues in my life. She gave me the book and she said, you know, I've known you for these, uh, at that time, uh, you know, 15 plus years, You've, you've been in love with my sister and you're called to public service. But if what, what if your service to the public didn't take the form of elected politics? And a little hard pill to swallow for somebody who, you know, from some of my earliest memories, the the idea of following in the path of everyone from, you know, Patrick Henry through Theodore Roosevelt, my own Abraham Lincoln was a a hero to me growing up in Illinois. There are people who have made this country a better place through elected public service. And, but it's interesting that in giving me those words and in giving me this book, and then for that same author to subsequently publish two more books about Theodore Roosevelt that continue through his life. The author himself, Edmund Morris, who passed about three years ago, uh, in writing those three books over a four-decade period, he finally uh, said on book TV on C-SPAN with Brian Lamb, he said, Mr. Lamb, all in all, I'm rather relieved that Theodore Roosevelt died when he was 60. For if he had lived any longer, it would have cost me another decade of my life as his biographer. (laughs) I'm glad that my discovery of my connection with Theodore Roosevelt, my, the beginning of my ability to portray the character on stage, that it's, it's tied up with family that means a great deal to me. And uh, you might look up Cynthia Barlow. She'd be a fascinating guest for you. Yeah, I will do that. So does your wife enjoy all of the history and in, in all of this like you do? I'm glad that uh, Jenny does take an interest in in history, and uh, she also has extremely strong interests in literature as an uh, English major herself. So the fact that Theodore Roosevelt was also a tremendous consumer of the literature of his time, not only all the good literature that any gentleman or lady should have known in the late 19th century, but also uh, popular culture, the novels of the day. If there was a New York Times best-selling list, Theodore Roosevelt would have read them all. He read one or two books a day. So part of what we share is a, an enjoyment of uh, the literary life, uh, reading uh, good books. Jenny's also the athlete in the family. Uh, we both had collegiate athletic careers, but Jenny's persisted in hers, uh, playing professional golf uh, for a while out on uh, some of the developmental tours. Uh, becoming a yoga instructor, and even bringing yoga 
uh, to the studio uh, here in Medora. And, uh, and she's even gotten me involved in that, uh, that wonderful healing and, and stretching and breathing practice. So I'm glad that she takes an interest in, in the work that I do and supports it. As she has often said, she's seen my act. So um, <laughs> she loves the fact that on occasion it does take us to some amazing places. But uh, don't expect her to see her in the audience every day in Medora. She more likely find her out at the Bully Pulpit Golf Course, uh, where she also does some golf instruction. Well, that's fascinating because, well, I just bought our Medora musical tickets because there's always a sale after Thanksgiving. Great sale. And so I got that. And I want to be a better golfer because I tend to be very competitive. And so we've been golfing and I don't like not being super good at it. Not saying like I'm going to be anywhere near your wife of a golfer, but I want to be able to respectively golf because that's something that you can do throughout your whole life. And that's part of the reason why uh, Jenny is golfing and, and also then professionally has had some wonderful experiences working in uh, television golf, uh, CBS sports. Part of why Jenny will be away and not uh, in Medora all the time in the winter and spring is she works for CBS sports uh, on the PGA tour. Uh, she's a spotter. Uh, she walks along with the golfers and communicates with the producers about who's hitting next and, uh, how far away they are, and and it, it takes a lot of people on a golf course to uh, televise a, a PGA tournament. A lot of good communication, and and she loves the fact that it's eight to twelve miles of walking around on a beautiful day in places like uh, Hilton Head or uh, Augusta. Jenny just came back from Augusta, Georgia, where she worked her first Masters tournament. Oh, had a great experience there too. But uh, you or your viewers can check out Yoga Zen Golf. Dot com and find a, a lady there who does yoga and golf and Zen, I think is apparently what you should be thinking about when you're doing yoga or golf is uh, just find your Zen. Well, I love this because it sounds like you two are truly living your best lives. Well, thank you. And this is part of it. I love the people here. Uh, the thrill of what we do every summer here is, is, a neat thing to be a part of and the timing of our coming to Medora right as the people of North Dakota through their governor and through their legislature, through the wonderful uh, kindness of the Walton family foundation and others, we are in the process of seeing built here in Medora, a Theodore Roosevelt presidential library and museum. And that's being done by a separate foundation, the Theodore Roosevelt Presidential Library Foundation. It's got people from throughout the country involved. I work with my friends, Randy Hudson Bueller, Justin Fisk, and others here in the Theodore Roosevelt Medora Foundation. But we know part of the reason why the decision was made to build that presidential library here is because there is this wonderful thing that is happening in Medora. And that's very closely tied to the Schaefer family and the generations of North Dakota families and others from throughout Eastern Montana and Western Minnesota and South Dakota who come here every year. Boy, this summer, we missed our friends from up North uh, in Canada. We, we love when our Canadian friends come down. I think they call it spring break. They come down <laughs> to North Dakota. So my performances, other than those, a few of those that have been done on television or film, they're really sort of an ethereal thing. We'll experience them as an audience and then you might carry it with you for a while. It might make you think to read a book or go hike or go explore, uh, over, or overcome a challenge. But when the library gets built, it's really one of the only things in my life that I, I know that my grandchildren can come to and say, Grandpa helped do this. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad to be a part of Medora at a time when we're all getting ready for and helping to promote the success of the Presidential Library and Museum. As you say, you come to Medora, there's these things you do, it makes you feel good. Mm-hmm. And, and yet to know that the Medora that we're going to continue to, to build and grow is going to be one of those things that without becoming, we know the things we wouldn't want it to become. Mm-hmm. As much as people love uh, Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, and, and the family experience there, uh, it's kind of like the the Las Vegas of the Smoky Mountains. No, we still want it to be Medora and country and 
and to be able to drive five minutes and be out in the quiet of the wilderness. Mm -hmm. And we will be. Good. And I need to add that I share a birthday with Theodore Roosevelt. So I think that's why I have a, you know, predisposition to really liking him. Well, we need to do something special for one of those Sarah Jane, Teddy Roosevelt birthdays. I'll be 40 next year. So maybe next year is my year. Yeah. All right. Okay, if, if we don't get it done for next year, because sometimes they've got me going someplace crazy. Yeah. But you know what would be really cool? You will soon then thereafter be 42. And do you know how old Teddy Roosevelt was when he became president of the United States? I'm going to go with 42. He was 42. <laughs> 42 and 11 months, but he is still our youngest president ever. Wow. Uh, not the youngest elected. That goes to John F. Kennedy, of course. TR came to the presidency through the graveyard, uh, the assassination of William McKinley. But uh, I'm I'm told by my producer because this is that that live podcast thing. Come on up, come on up. When you go, for, we're going to go for a hike on the point to point trails, and you can hike with not only one, but two, 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 two golden retrievers. Holy! Bailey and Bella, and actually, there's another golden around the corner who will be here a lot next summer, Toby. And I just, I look forward to next summer looking up and just this last summer, I would look out our front porch and see people waiting for the zip line and having fun and laughing at that, laughing up, playing the putt-putt, laughing at the playground. And this coming summer, we're going to look up and we're going to see families and dogs hiking up and down. What in one book I wrote, I call it Town Butte, as do others, an old book uh, referred to it as Great Butte. So, yes, I being Teddy, right? I have said to my husband that we should move to Mordora and I should run the Cowboy Cafe. <laughs> He's like, really, Sarah? Really? <laughs> so, this, I, I'm only, I love the fact that I live in a tiny little town. I'm fairly certain I have the facts right on this. Uh, the wonderful proprietors of the Cowboy Cafe just about the time when the uh, library was announced and announced as, as being sort of kind of a sure thing, I do believe that they put the Cowboy Cafe on the market for sale. Mm -hmm. I do believe that the asking price was several million dollars. So I don't know if that was just an opening bid or just a fun way to kind of have fun putting your place on the market for a little while. But. <laughs> Because we have someone, someone from Velva is from Medora and her sister and her husband run that cafe. So whenever we're there, we eat there and we speak with them and great food. You are. Great well, you food. got a better, you, you got a better source than me then. Well, I have no idea how much they wanted for it, but I obviously am not, I'm not in the ball game at that price. I could, I, I could have misquoted, but I think I kept my, my pricing general enough by saying several. I think several would qualify for what I had heard, but um, wow. in any case, I promised you, uh, Velva, of course, is suburban Minot, and Minot happens to be named for Henry Minot, and Henry and Theodore Roosevelt both matriculated to, enrolled as freshmen at Harvard in 1876. They were best buddies. They had in common an interest in ornithology, birds, and taxidermy. Two summers, Henry and Theodore spent paddling about the lakes of the northern Adirondack country in upstate New York, uh, places like Saranac Lake and Racket Lake. And as a result, they published in 1878, the first thing that Theodore Roosevelt ever published it's one of the few things that he published as a co-author, and it was a pamphlet on the summer birds of Franklin County, New York. Authors, Theodore Roosevelt and Henry Minot. Um, well, how, did my, like, how did that come to be here? So Minot, after his sophomore year, his father doesn't allow him to re-enroll in Harvard for his junior year. He's worried that Harvard is ruining his son's morals. I tell modern audiences, perhaps more parents should be investigating what the Ivy League schools are doing to their children's morals. But um, again, know your audience. Uh, 
So Henry winds up working for James P. Hill's Great Northern Railroad. And when the railroad makes its way to the Valley of the Suris, the Valley of the Mouse, no one lived, there's no prominent rancher, there's no big landowning citizen to uh, uh, you know, sell the station or name the station. So my telling of it, my reading of it, is that the senior vice presidents of the Great Northern Railroad decided to name the station in the middle of nowhere, Dakota Territory, after the junior vice president with half a Harvard education, Henry Minot. Um, Henry, oddly, within another decade or so, is himself killed in a uh, railroad accident in Pennsylvania. So actually dies as a rather young fellow about in his mid-30s or so. But uh, the namesake of Minot, where, of course, you have Roosevelt Park and Roosevelt Zoo and a Theodore Roosevelt equestrian statue that uh, is done by A. Finister Proctor. It is an exact duplicate of the statue that was torn down by criminal vandals in Portland, Oregon, uh, earlier this year in October. And uh, um, that, uh, that statue is north of the uh, official North Dakota Medal of Honor Memorial. That's also located there at, at Roosevelt Park. And so that's a special place, not too far from Velva, up in Minot. One of my one of my favorite places to visit. I learn something new every single day. <laughs> <laughs> well, I look forward to this summer. I had uh, earlier this year, Justin Fisk was on and we spoke about Medora and all the fun things to do. And now you have also shown a different light on other things to do in Medora. So people definitely need to check out your show. And I will be in the audience next year. I have not seen your show. So I look forward to seeing that. My goodness. Well, I'll tell you what. You and your viewers, of course, can go to Medora.com to make arrangements. And I look forward next year. Let's promise to uh, uh, get up and take a good hike uh, up on point-to-point trails. The view of Medora down below and and the what you can see from up atop town butte it's an inspiration we know that harold schaefer some 55 years ago stood up there with a and this was 65 years ago now with a young uh, ed schaefer and he looked down on medora and he said there's so much here we've got to save it and ed schaefer remembers being six seven year old boy and looking down and thinking there's nothing down there to save <laughs> and uh it's a special place and and I'm so glad that you invited me to be on your podcast today. It means a lot to me and look forward to seeing you next summer. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Fast Lane with Sarah Jane podcast. If you like what you hear, share the podcast and hit the subscribe button so you get updates on all new episodes. And we truly love feedback. So ratings and reviews are appreciated.